How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Welcome back. I am so glad you're here. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Life's Key 3 is a podcast that helps you to succeed in life's key three endeavors. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. Because it's only to the degree that we do those three things well that we are going to achieve our full potential. And it's only to the degree that we align ourselves with truth in all of those areas that we will be successful, not just from an earthly standpoint, but also from an eternal one. In 2023, we are strategically going through significant passages of the Bible on Life's Key 3, and we're looking at how do we dig out truths here that we can apply in our lives. Some of those might be things that immediately resonate with you. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. That's just some information that I needed for what I'm dealing with right now in my life. Other times you're going to listen to episodes and it's not going to seem to have immediate application to you. But here's the thing. You want to create a storehouse of truth so that when the time comes that you need direction and answer, insight, for yourself or for someone else that you are in a relationship with that you have a reserve to pull from. Now, to make the most of this podcast, you're going to want to subscribe to Highlights. That's a weekly newsletter, and you can sign up for that at stephaniepresents.com. And the reason is because I'm not going through on this podcast chapter by chapter by chapter. There are some chapters I'm going to skip on the podcast, but what I'm doing in the newsletter is I'm giving you a reading schedule for every week for you and hopefully your family because I bring out some insights and I provide some discussion questions that you can use with your kids. So whether you've got preschoolers or you've got adolescents, there's going to be something in highlights that can help you as an individual and as a parent. Right now, we're going through the book of 1 Samuel. And that might seem like, what? But here's the thing. This is an incredibly rich book about the importance of learning ourselves, our relationship with God, and not just knowing him, but loving him. And how do we live connected to other people in ways that are healthy and help ourselves and others to achieve their calling? So that's what we're looking at. Last week, we looked at chapter 9 in 1 Samuel. And today, we're mostly going to focus on chapter 13. But there is something in chapter 10. And even though I brought this out in the Highlights newsletter, I have got to talk about it on this episode. In chapter 10, even though Saul had previously been declared king by Samuel in a prophetic way, it's not until chapter 10 that he is like officially coronated. You know, in this last year, the world witnessed the death of the long-reigning monarch, Queen Elizabeth, and her son, 
Charles became king, but as of the time of this episode, he has not yet been officially coronated. Now, he is addressed as King Charles, but until there's an official coronation, he's not crowned, like physically crowned king. I had the great fortune to be in London last year and with one of my sons, and we got to go through the Tower of London, which if you've not been there, isn't so much a tower as it is a complex. And we got to see the crown jewels and to see the crown that King Charles will probably be coronated with. And that has absolutely nothing to do with 1 Samuel, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. If you're ever in London, I highly recommend going to do the tour, by the way, with the um, Tower of London. Anyway, back to 1 Samuel. So it's time for the coronation, if you will, of, of Saul. Now, he is Israel's first king. And this is not God's best and perfect will for the nation of Israel. He doesn't really want them to have a king. And he has warned them, if you insist on having a king, it will come back to haunt you. And through Samuel, he goes through and he details the price that they are going to pay eventually for choosing a king. Because you see, what he wanted was he wanted them to continue to follow the judges and the prophets that he gave to them. The reason that the Israelites said, no, we don't want that system of government anymore is because, and this isn't conjecture on my part, you can find that right there in 1 Samuel, they said, we want to be like the other nations around us. Oh, there's a whole lot we could unpack right there. Anytime that we start looking around us at what other people are doing to define our direction, eventually it's going to come at a very high cost. Maybe not to us as individuals, but the cost will come. God's provision of Saul is a demonstration of tremendous grace. He could have said, okay, y'all want a king because you have rejected my way of doing things. Fine, I will give you a king. And he could have given them someone who was just horrible and ruthless and just immediately set out stealing their women, stealing their land, putting their children into subscription, subscription, ah, conscription service, but he doesn't. And there's a real powerful parenting principle there, which, which we talk about in the highlights newsletter and covering that chapter. But in chapter 10, it's time for this coronation. And I find this to be both simultaneously sad and yet very funny. So Samuel's here, all the people are gathered and they're waiting for their very first king ever to be brought out and crowned and all of the stuff that was supposed to go along with that. <clears throat> and after Samuel gives this speech and people are kind of looking around like, okay, well, where's the king? And he's, he's nowhere around. And so a search party is launched and they finally find him. Now, he didn't get his days and times mixed up. He's scared. And so where they find him is hiding behind some baggage. Oh, can you see for a moment the powerful illustration of that for us? Fear is always going to cause us to hide behind our baggage. 
but God is gracious enough to send a search party to get us out from behind our baggage. Now, even though this happens to Saul physically, we'll see later how because Saul doesn't deal with what's going on in his heart and the impact of fear in his life, there's there's a cost that comes to that. Can you imagine if something like that happened today? I mean, it's time for the presidential inauguration here in the United States. And so there's all the pomp and circumstance and everybody gets up and they give all of their speeches and the bands play and everything goes on. And then people are looking around going, uh, excuse me, but... Uh, <laughs> Where's the president-elect? And then they have to send out a search party, and he's hiding behind the grandstand. Okay, I have a feeling that guy somehow would not make it through the inauguration very well. There might be an emergency session of Congress or something if that were to happen, but that's effectively what happens here with Saul. Anyway, you can read all about that in chapter 10. We're going to move on to chapter 13. Saul's now been king for about two years, and it's time to go to war against their never-ending enemies, the Philistines. Saul selects 3,000 men to join the military. Now, I don't know exactly how many people showed up to fight because in the first part of chapter 13, it's a little fuzzy whether there were only 3,000 people total or when other people were called to come up and fight if they were joining the 3,000 military men. But what we do know this, they realize they are seriously outnumbered because the Philistines show up with, oh, just a minor 30,000 chariots, which meant you had probably at least two people per chariot because you had the chariot driver and then you probably had at least one, if not more people in the chariot themselves. And then there were, oh, I don't know, just like 6,000 people on horses. And then you had the foot soldier. Okay. This is going to be a total route. The Philistines, I think at this point, have kind of had it with Saul and the Israelites. Okay, so Israel's got a king, woohoo, big deal. We have been fighting these people off and on for a lot of years now. They are a thorn in our foot. It is time to just exterminate them, to let them know they just need to accept we're in charge, they're not, there are servants, and we will do whatever we want. So the Israelites are astute, observant people, and they kind of calculate the, the numbers and conclude uh, <coughs> we're in trouble. And they were from a human perspective. And so what they do with that is they, they go hide. Does that remind you of anything else in the Bible? Say Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they realize they're in trouble and what do they do? They go hide. And we have all kinds of places that we can go hide in our lives. We can go hide behind baggage like Saul did. And I don't mean they're so much like physical suitcases and baggage of trash or something. I mean, we have all kinds of emotional and mental and ha habits that are baggage for us that don't serve us well in life that we can go hide behind. Maybe it's food. 
Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's emotional pornography with, for women, which often comes in the forms of certain types of, quote, romantic books and movies. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking rom-coms, but I am saying there's a difference between just being refreshed by a movie or a novel and having it become a stirring in your heart that makes you despise what's real and cultivate unreal expectations of what a husband or romantic prospect should be. The Israelites go hide, and and we read in this chapter, they go right, they go hide in all kinds of places. They hide in caves, they hide in holes, they hide behind rocks. They're so desperate, they go hide in tombs. Okay, this isn't just going to hide in the cemetery. This is like hiding in the places where people are buried. They go hide in cisterns. And if you don't know what a cistern is, a cistern is, is like an underground hole that's used to collect rainwater. These people are terrified. And the people that hadn't run off and hid were following Saul, but they were trembling. Well, Samuel had previously instructed Saul, hey, I want you to wait for me for seven days and I'm going to show up. But he doesn't show up on time. And Samuel or Saul looks around and he gets scared. He says, everybody's running away from me. I'm scared of being out here and I've got to do something to get people to come back to me. Does that ever sound familiar? Ever feel like everybody's running away from you and you decide that you're going to act presumptuously to get everybody to, to come back to your side? Okay, been there, done that more times than I care to admit. Saul takes the initiative, but he's not taking the initiative because of good counsel and after prayer, he takes the initiative because he's afraid. And he goes ahead and he offers this burnt offering to God. And just about the time he's done with this is when Samuel shows up. Don't you hate it when that happens? When you've acted foolishly and you don't even get enough time to go past, and then God shows up? Well, the reality is we have a choice when that happens as to whether we come and we accept God's correction and we repent, or we just go into defensive mode, blaming mode, just like what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Saul, unfortunately, makes another foolish choice. Instead of admitting his wrongdoing, he defends it. And he not only defends it, he acts as if he didn't have any choice in the matter. As a matter of fact, he says to Samuel, oh, I, I had to force myself to do this. Oh, please give me a break. Really? I had to force myself to do this? He wants to minimize what he's done wrong as a way of dealing with it, and he wants to act helpless. Can I just stop and point out here, if you are a parent and you run into a child who has made a foolish decision and you confront that foolish decision with them and you start getting back minimization and them acting helpless like 
Like they couldn't do anything else. They, they had to do what they did. You need to look at this story here in 1 Samuel 13 and take it very seriously. If you just look at the external circumstances, I mean, can't we make a case that we could understand Saul's perspective? I mean, everybody is running away. They are terrified. He's the king. He's got this massive army against him. It looks like everybody's going to be squelched. And really, I mean, what was the big deal in, I mean, in good grief, the whole nation is getting ready to probably be wiped out, enslaved. Thousands of people are going to die at the hands of the Philistines. And really, we're making this big deal over some animal that gets offered up as a sacrifice. Certainly, there's a time to place things in context. And we want to always do that. A kid who slams the door and says, don't bother me, when they just had their best friend humiliate them, needs a different response than the kid who slams the door and says this thing same thing because you said no they couldn't go play their video game but if we start saying external circumstances excuse disobedience we will set ourselves and our children on a very dangerous path the cost of this disobedience which actually doesn't come to fruition for many 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 years actually it's almost about three decades later before the cost of this actually comes to fruition but judgment is pronounced now on saul that says you know what if you would have not done this foolish thing and disobey god your kingdom would have been permanently established. But because you disobeyed God, you forged ahead, you allowed your fear to motivate you to disobedience and then to excuse yourself and then to act as if you were a victim in this whole situation and couldn't help yourself. The kingship is going to end up going to someone else. Can I just say, does that seem entirely fair to you? Because to me, it seems like a pretty severe consequence. And I don't really like that personally real well. Like, I don't know. Okay, so Saul, maybe it would mean that you had a year cut off of your kingship or something, but really the whole kingdom's going to go to somebody else. But we can't ignore the principle here, which is if you're not going to be faithful in the small things, you're not going to be faithful in the big things. The last thing from chapter 13 we're going to talk about today comes at the very end of the chapter. And it's this notation that tells us that the, the Israelites, the Hebrews, didn't even come into battle properly equipped with swords and spears because only two people had them, Saul and his son, Jonathan. Now, how in the world had that happened? Well, it was actually very cunning on the part of the Philistines because they had recognized that properly equipped Israelites could be a serious threat to them. So they had banned any Israelite from being a blacksmith. No blacksmith shops could be and hadn't been allowed to be in operation for a number of years because that's where weapons came from. They, they were forged. And so what happened was the Israelites had some farm equipment. So they had some plows and they had some sickles and things of that nature. But 
even if they needed to get a replacement or they needed it sharpened, guess where they had to go? They had to go to the Philistines for that. And not only did they have to go to the Philistines, their enemy for that, but they had to pay to get that done. It can be easy sometimes to think as a Christian because our focus is on eternity to think that the things of the world right now, like economics and commerce, don't really have much significance to us. But this economic and and commercial reality had a huge impact. You control a country's commerce or economy in a significant area, and you are going to be able to keep them living in fear and a certain type of enslavement as long as you control an industry that they depend on for their defense, for their liberation, for their freedom. There's a whole lot more that we could dig into just related to that, but I'm just going to toss that out there today and you can do with it what you will. So again, to wrap up, number one, don't hide behind the baggage when God has called you to something in your life. And when he sends a search party to come and find you, be grateful for that and go along with them. Secondly, do not allow fear to be the motivation, even when it seems like you are so outnumbered, the situation is so hopeless. And so you're going to take the initiative, you're going to take matters into your own hand, And you're going to end up doing something that you've not been called to do as a way to escape the terror of the situation that you're in. Now, I do I do want to be very clear here. This doesn't mean that we become people who are passive and let others be abusive to us. So whether that's in a marriage, in a work situation or in some other way, this is never to be interpreted as remaining a victim and thinking, well, if God wants me out of this, somehow he'll just pluck me out of it. This is about disobedience to God as a result of listening more to your fear than your faith in his ability to defeat your enemies. So again, that message has to be taken in context and properly applied to specific situations. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Again, if you're not a subscriber to Highlights, go to stephaniepresents.com, sign up, and then you're going to get a reading plan between now and next episode with some assignments and some insights and some discussion questions that you can have for your family or your friends. And then we'll meet back here next time as we continue our strategic study in the book of 1 Samuel. I invite you, share this with a friend, hit that subscribe button. And until next week, remember, my friend, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.